Well, I greet you in the name of Jesus. It's been a blessing for me to just worship this morning. There's something in me that just gets so excited and motivated and encouraged when young men speak words of, of truth that reveals their, their uh, study of the word. Steve, you are included with that group of young men. I'm greatly, greatly encouraged. Words of wisdom. You can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to take a break from our study through Philippians and look at the subject of fathers. So 1 Corinthians 4, and I'm just going to read this verse in introduction. I was tempted to title the message from this verse, but I didn't feel like uh, it, it was enough of a theme. And it's also because I don't feel like I have enough of an understanding. So I guess I'm reading this verse and in an in, in, with a request that I am asking you, especially you fathers, to mark this verse, make a note of it, and help me understand it. Okay, we're gonna to come to the word fathers, and I would really be curious for a few, some, some feedback sometime, whether it's verbal or a, a text or an email, or I'd like to, I just like some more thoughts on 1 Corinthians, 4, verse 15. Before I read it, I'm going to say this. I'm going to just tell you a story. That a greeting card company one time, I'm told, decided they're going to do something special in a federal prison. So they went into a federal prison on Mother's Day and said, free cards, free postage, free everything, just come and claim it, write your mother's name in a few words, and we got it covered. And the response was overwhelming. Long lines in fact, they had to go back to the, the stock to restock the cards. And so it was such a success, they decided they're going to do this for Father's Day. And would you believe that not one of the persons in the same federal prison showed up? Now, that remains a mystery that I don't conclude, and I don't... Uh, uh, I won't attempt to give a reason why, but it does indicate that there was a disconnect to Father, but uh, a much more of a connect to Mother. Not sure it's, uh, it, it's not supposed to be that way. Now, back to Paul's comment that I don't understand. Here we go, verse 15. Paul says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. On my notes, question mark, question mark. One of my questions is, is this Corinth specific? In other words, is this directed right to Corinth. And I, I'm always skeptical. I, there are definite verses in the Bible that are uh, specific to the hearer or to the person, the recipient of the letter. Or is that little statement a classic statement that applies to all people of all time, in all ages, in all... I, I'm back to question mark, question mark, question mark. And I'm certainly not implying 
that that is the case here. In fact, I will be honest with you. Sunday school teachers up in the upper room need to be on their toes because I get distracted. And you know what I get distracted with? I get distracted with dads taking care of their little ones. And my mind goes down memory lane and I almost go back to the, the, the late 90s and the turn of the, the, the century and I almost relive the good old days. I see fathers. And I'll make that clear. When I read that verse, I'm not implying at all that we don't have many fathers. I'm just... I just want to encourage fathers. The, the, the greatest task that you have on this side, of, this side of heaven is to be a godly father. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. The title of the message this morning is Encouragement for Fathers. I like that a whole lot better than you have not many fathers. Encouragement for fathers. And, I'm, and, I, and I need to give credit. Uh, Back in 2017, some of you know that we went to Thailand kind of short notice to fill in to teach uh, one of Val's classes at IGO entitled Christian Family Living. And I was very reluctant to do it because there was not a slot of time in 2000, my 2017 schedule to do it, but I had a son there that had a lot of pull. And then Val said this, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you all my resources. And that helped a lot, even though you'd you go through somebody else's resources and it almost seems like Greek to you. It's just a very shorthanded writing. But there was, a, so we did go to Thailand and taught Christian family living, but I never got to the parenting part. We started at birth and we went through, we spent, a, we got stuck on, on dating and courtship and marriage. That's where we got stuck, over in, over in Thailand. And we never got on to Christian family where it's pa- the, the parenting part. Uh, actually, I, should, I take that back. On the last day, we threw in uh, uh, several n- nuggets, but we didn't go through any of his material. So I'm saying all that to, to give credit to, to Brother Val. I went through his, I dug back in the archives and looked through some of the, his resources, and I'm really hoping that Val can spend time in his uh, senior golden years writing. He did a lot of teaching, and I, I know that's his, his goal. His goal is to devote more time to writing, and it would be a blessing to, to, for some of the men that have spent uh, a lifetime of teaching just getting it in script in a re- readable format. So I'll say all that to say that some of this comes from Val's resources. If you had Christian Family Living by Val, you might recognize a few illustrations, by the way. If you had a dad this morning that did, uh, I'm going to narrow it down to three things. He disciplined you, chastened you, okay? And he also taught and trained you, just, and he also blessed you. Three things. I'm telling you, thank God for that. And maybe that's a summary of my heart this morning. A balance between discipline and also training, teaching the whys of life. Great Sunday school class. Thirdly, blessing and affirming. Most of us dads 
at least in one area of those three areas we fail. Now, if you had a dad that you can remember, just, just even an attempt, you're a wealthy person. Uh, some of us remember words that were said to us that just 25 years later they cut, and they cut deep. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a peer. Some of the most cutting words that I've ever heard in my whole life were thankfully not from parents. Although my parents made a lot of mistakes, some of the most cutting words that still, I, this, for, uh, this forgive and forget thing, I don't buy it for a minute. You remember. Most of the cutting words came from peers. I can still remember where I sat on a few occasions. Ravi Zacharias, some of you listened to him, some of you read, some of you read him. Oh, by the way, if you, had a, if you had a father or a mother that left cutting words, it's hard. It's really hard. And listen carefully. You'll probably do the same thing. That's natural. If you had a father that blessed you'll probably do the same thing. It's, 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 it's natural. But it doesn't have to be that way. Ravi Zacharias is just one example that uh, if you read Jesus among other gods, he, tells, he says this, he says, the most cutting words I ever heard was my dad saying, you will never amount to anything. Your life will never amount to anything. And I wonder what his dad would say if he could see the influence that Ravi Zacharias has had. The reason I say that is, is because there's grace. Every one of us has had cutting words. But there's grace. The natural thing is to bottle it up and live in, in that internal conflict maybe even believing the lie or setting out to prove the peer or parent wrong. And it's called grace. So if you're here, there's very likely somebody's here this morning that, that their mind right went right to a word. There's grace. You can be a, I don't want to say be a Ravi, but maybe you know other people that gave similar stories, but yet they chose to be a blessing to other people. You can, you can uh, be that way. Unfortunately, the Bible has so many pictures of, uh, of godly men that blew it in parenting. And so what I'm going to do is, uh, first, I'm going to give a couple of, just a few illustrations of, of what I'm going to say godly men that did not do well in parenting. And then I'm going to switch gears, hopefully in a few minutes, and we're going to just an encouragement for fathers, especially. And I, I know this is one of those messages that is kind of hard because it's, there's so many others here that are not fathers. And I, I, I'm, I'm trusting that there's something in here that will, will help equip all of us to live a, a life of blessing to other people. So a few examples that I'm... I don't really like to share, but God chose to share them with us. The first one I'm just going to relate to. 
And the first one is Lot. Godly man? Well, Peter does say that he didn't, certain things vexed his righteous soul. So I guess I'm kind of expecting to, to spend some time with Lot in glory. And I will have a lot of questions to ask him. And I don't understand some things, but... And I'm specifically referring to the day where he chose to be a better host than a dad. He was more concerned about how the visitors are thinking and feeling than his daughters. I cannot, it's, it's, it's beyond my, my comprehension to see a dad take a few daughters and put them out to perverts on the porch and say, just... Do with them as you see good. Just let these visitors alone. Well, fortunately, you know the story. God intervened and the guys out, the, the perverts on the porch got struck with blindness and they couldn't make their way to the door. But that's just one example. Uh, the second example I'm going to turn to. Let's flip back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this is another one that oft is used in a in a negative, and I think it is, 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 it's very important for all of us as, as fathers to, to, to read and understand, and these things are written for our a, uh, admonition. So join me in 1 Samuel 2, if you, if, if you will. In verse 13, it says the priest's custom was, actually verse 12. I'm in 1 Samuel, verse 12. We're going to talk about Eli. The sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. In other words, your translation, or you may have a little side note in your Bible that, that says they were worthless. And it says they knew not the Lord. That's highlighted in my Bible. They didn't know God. They did not walk with God. And then I'm going to, you know what, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize verse 13, 14, 15, 16. Here's what it says. It's a little, King James is a little different language than I would use. It says, it was the, in, in my, my paraphrase, it was the priest's custom uh, that when the offering was being made, when people would come to the temple and make the offering, what was often happening, the servants of, the, of Eli's sons would show up and they'd use this three-pronged fork and they would go into the offering and take out the meat and off with it. And it was just irreverent. And then there were some people that would say, well, if you have to do this, if you have to show up and take the meat and run with it, at least follow the law. The law says you got to boil the fat and don't take the, the meat before the fat is burned off. And the servants of Eli's son says, uh, in, in end of verse 16, no, give it now. Or if you don't give it to me, I'm going to take it by force. And then in verse 17, it says, the, son, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You know what? Somehow Eli missed the importance of reverence. When it comes to things of the Lord, I know everything, everything pertains to God. We heard that this week in our finances, but... When there's specific things, whether it's family devotions, I personally think there's a different atmosphere at family devotions and a basketball game. Eli missed it when they were young. 
Eli missed it at the altar. And then the boys grew up and that's why they did what they did. Furthermore, I can hardly read verse 22. I, it, I hate it. I hate the verse, but it's here. Eli was old. He heard that his sons did lay with the women that assembled at the door of the t- at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then verse 23, give them a little bit of credit, 24, 25, uh, Eli comes and he talks to him and it's kind of like this. Yeah, you heard about what you're doing. You shouldn't be doing that. It's not a good thing. And, and Samuel got a front row seat to this. Now flip with me to chapter 3, verse 13. We can, we can say what we can uh, form our opinions and conclusions, but here's what God said, and this is what is important. God told Samuel, you know the story about uh, how he came to Samuel, and he said in verse uh, 13, he said, I have told him that I, will be ju- that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. In other words, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't, he, he, he didn't say, and dads, there are times you've got to do this. You've got to do it. Not in this house. And it's the most loving thing you could do. And it starts at family devotions. It starts when they're two. It starts when they're three. Mom says, son, no. No. And dad's in the study, and he comes out, not in this house. Well, Samuel, I mean, Eli blew it. Well, Samuel had a front row seat, right? He did. Now, I think Samuel probably turned the pen, the, the, the tide turned, the pendulum went over to the other side. No. Here's the point that... It, we often are a product of how we grew up, often, but it doesn't have to be that way. Verse, 1 Samuel, verse 8. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'm, I know I'm uh, fast-forwarding and skipping so much, but now this is Samuel, and the point is, he had a front-row seat. He saw it all, he heard it all, he had God talk to him, Surely, surely, Samuel, you did some things different. You made some change. In verse 3 of of, uh, chapter 8, it says, His sons, that's Samuel, walked not in his ways, but turned aside to lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. And did you know that because of that, because Samuel, the last judge, or one of the last judges in Israel, his sons weren't making right choices. Israel came and said, okay, let's, let's do something different. A king is what we want. And God didn't, that was not God's plan. They came and said, all the other nations, look at them. That's how they operate, a king. And they brought a worldly system into it, and God okayed it. And I, it, is it because dads weren't dads? And therefore, the Israel, Israel got a king. Well, uh, another quick example is David. And I'm not going to take time to go through him, but you, you, 
Now, in all due respect, David's a man of God. David's a man after God's own heart from God himself. He said it. And I'm careful how, we sh- how I share this. David's a godly man. I don't know if we have a man that panted after God like David did. But yet, incest. Incest in the home. And in this generation, we need to talk about that. Incest in the godly man's home. A brother and a sister. And that resulted in murder. The family photo album through David's life is not pretty. Absalom did some horrendous things publicly to David's wives. Sometimes I actually wonder, oh, that's recorded. They're there for our admonition. He raised the world's, probably the world's greatest polygamist, Solomon, a thousand plus wives. I quote thou. How much greater could have David's ministry be if he had nurtured his sons instead of watching his neighbor take a bath? Well, at least he repented. Psalm 34 and verse uh, 34 and 51. And I'd like to say that makes all makes all the difference. Uh, now we're going to shift gears. Uh, shift gears now. Before we do that, those are some just examples that are there. And, and let me emphasize. It is possible to be a godly man, a godly man, a heart after God, a heart for people, and miss the most important calling I think we have. It's, in fact, I'm going to say it's easy and almost natural. And I think the admonitions are here so in, in, in the New Testament. So we, we as men say, yeah, we... That's something we're not, we're, by God's grace, by God's grace. I'm going to suggest there's, there's four primary ways that fathers fail. Number one, being angry and controlling. Just everything looks in line, but it's in line by force. Second way that, you'll, that we can easily fail is just being passive. Just let it go. Maybe, maybe every now and then do an Eli meeting. Eh, I don't like what I hear, but not a good thing. And Passive. And passive. That often, the, the theme is often love, love, love. But you know what the Bible says if you don't, discipline your child, you actually hate them. So there's no love in being passive at all. The third, the third area that we often fail is just inconsistency. Inconsistency. And maybe that's a angry one day, passive the next. I know. I'm with, I'm with all you fathers in it. That's, it's so easy to do this. Inconsistency. Unclear boundaries. Another way to be inconsistent fathers, listen, please listen carefully, is 
too many secret rooms in your heart. Too many secret rooms deep down in. And another way is just to be absent. So angry, and we could build a message on those four points, but uh, being angry or controlling, being passive, being inconsistent, or being absent. And I'm guessing that if you're a dad here this morning, you know that there is one of those areas that you need to improve in. Uh, I'm told that Time Magazine published an article in, in uh, 1997 October 1997, if you have time, any access to time, you can go back to the article and, and, and read it. I tried to go back to the article and read it, but I had to make a subscription to it and decided not to, to make, uh, make a contribution to Time Magazine. But in 1997, there was an observation made in South Africa among elephants. And there was a park, a national park, that the rangers reported untypical elephant behavior. I've never studied elephants. Maybe you have. I think they're kind of neat animals. Go over to Thailand. You know, you can get your picture with your uh, with the uh, trunk wrapped around you, and it's they're pretty impressive. In this specific park, there was very unusual activity. Some of the young bulls were growing up and becoming violent, and they were destroying the fellow rhinos. Literally, young elephant out of the blue one time would just lose it and gore this rhino to death. And finally, the, you know, this is not a typical elephant behavior. Finally, one day, one of the wardens cracked the code. A few years before this, due to the population of the elephants, they decided to, to kill the older elephants to control the population. And what happened is they, they deprived the younger elephants of important training, adult supervision. And the result was these juvenile delinquents, known as elephants, grew up terrorizing their neighbors. Is there some similarity? <laughs> is, can we make some, make some uh, uh, similarities to that? The, the point, dads, adults, so important to be speaking into lives of all children in a positive way. Now, I said we're shifting gears, and we are. There was an evangelist that was away preaching, and his phone rang while he was away preaching. He was on a two-week assignment. And by the way, this evangelist was the most sought-after evangelist of the day. If you wanted him to speak, you probably looked five years, four to five years out ahead. He and his wife had made an agreement. And it worked for them. They agreed that this was God's calling in, their, in their, their lives. Two weeks gone, two weeks at home with very little to do. Two weeks gone, two weeks home. That was the simple schedule that they had agreed on. And it worked for several years. Well, back to the phone ringing. This evangelist was gone. It was his wife at the other end of the line. And she said, Honey, I need you now. Our 16-year-old son has rose up against me, and he's arguing, and it's just wearing me down. They didn't know the 16-year-old son was in the next room thinking, how's this going to pan out? Obnoxious 16-year-old son, right? 
he was surprised to have his father on the other end say, honey, I'm canceling the meetings and I'm on my way home. And he came home. He didn't only cancel the meetings, he went out to the front yard to tacked a for sale sign up, sold the house. They moved into a, a, a small rural, rural setting where he accepted a, a, a pastorate position, pastoring a very small church. And he was committed to do that for four years until his son gets through those difficult teenage years. What few people realize that that 16-year-old son would soon start his own ministry known as Focus on the Family. That 16-year-old son was James Dobson. You can read that account in Steve Farrar's book, King Me, if you, if you wish. It's a book to, to fathers, but uh, that was a, an encouragement of a, a, of, a, of, a, of a dad that took things radical. So I'm curious now as we switch gears, what, what I, I'm going to open it up. When you think of a godly example of a father in the Bible, off your cuff. Noah. Oh, Jonadab, yes. Abraham. Like what I'm hearing, as I sat down at my desk and I scratched my head, I didn't think of Noah, I thought of Jonadab, I thought of Abraham. Joseph. This is interesting. I concluded one of the best we got is Paul, because he never was a father. And he talked, and we're back to the verse. We're back to his, because I think I was the best father before before our children were born. Can you, you know what I'm talking about? Well, I really think the father heart of, of uh, Paul is so evident, and I'd like to turn to one another scripture in Thessalonians. Actually, you can turn to it if you if you wish. But here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Just one short verse in chapter two and verse. 11. It says, And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. It's like, my word, Paul, do you know my failures as a father? But he's using the analogy of a father, and he's always got this ideal of a father. And he says, what fathers do, and he's saying, this is how I treated you, or my relationship to you as the church, was number one, exhort. Number two, comfort. And number three, charge. I think I see something there too. Maybe that would be a good study for all, for all of you fathers to take that verse and put some meat on, on, on all those points. But I'm going to suggest that the best picture of a father, and I thought maybe, just maybe I'll hear it, is, I know it's a spiritual, on the spiritual side, is God the Father. And I think I'm going to close with this scripture. God the Father, I'm going to turn to the Matthew 17 account. 
I would like you to lay your eyes on this. So if you want to turn to it, this is, this is huge. And I think you get a, a glimpse into the Father heart of God in Matthew 17, the, the setting is the transfiguration. And we know that at, the, at Jesus' baptism, it seems that God couldn't contain himself and he split the skies open and had the voice from heaven. Well, here we are at the transfiguration and Peter is in the middle of saying, hey, this is so good, man. Let's just make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elias. And, and then while he spake, in verse 5, Matthew 17, verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I, I see three extremely important parts in this passage of Scripture. When God rolled open the heavens and said this simple phrase, and there is a longing in every human heart to feel these words from a specially apparent, especially apparent. There is a longing in every human heart for the expression in some way, shape, or form of number one, belonging. The first thing God says, the Father says, is, My son. My son, fathers, don't ever find yourself in the vocabulary of, and I remember I was away somewhere, and a man says, oh, yeah, I'll get the boy to do that. It's like in a real derogatory way. The boy, like, and maybe he meant nothing, but to me it implied something. Every person in this on this side of eternity, has a longing for belonging. You want to belong. And there's something about my son, my daughter, my wife, mine. And it gives you the security that you belong in the family. And there's, there's something real healthy about that. And I just want to encourage all of us as fathers to promote an atmosphere of belonging. The opposite of that is a ban and, and, and the devil, he, oh, I'm, it gets me angry. The smallest of our failures, and I'll guarantee you the devil will be right there. With the, he's an accuser, he lies, and we believe his lies so way too often. He, he'll make, he wants to make everybody feel abandoned. He wants to make everyone feel rejected. He wants to make everyone feel just depressed because of lack of belonging. So I think it's important that we follow our faithful father's example. This is my son, secondly. The, there's something in every human heart that, that thrives on, on appreciation or delight. There's something about it that when there is approval expressed, when we did something right, when we do something right, I know as fathers, it's so easy to see what's wrong. It's so easy. It's natural. Training, teaching, discipline. It's so easy. But it's so important that we 
make it a goal and ask God for help to express approval, affirmation. It's so important. How and when and why I is going to vary, but just somehow do it. I really think that, I mean, Joyce and I made this decision early in, in our child training years that Christmas is, is a, it's a great time we celebrate as a family. We don't get as big and splashy about uh, gifts, but we've, we tried to make it a, a, a conscious choice on their birthday. It's just them. Unless you have a, two siblings in one day, that's a possibility. But just, just bless them. Thank, thank God for them publicly. And maybe be a little more extravagant. I, I think it's, and, and maybe it's because of pain and I can remember a, a specific, it's almost embarrassing because I don't remember how old I was, but I was way too old. But I cried on my birthday. And you know why I cried? Because we picked corn all day long. And we, there was no, and I know that sounds very selfish. And I guess I'm admitting it. I am very selfish. I think we are very selfish. But there's something about, I think that's healthy, about recognizing a child and being specific. When it's absent, when, when, when there's no delight or no expressed approval and no affirmation, uh, there's going to be an automatic uh, mindset of shame and I'm not worth and so on. Thirdly, competence. And this is from the statement, hear ye him. So God the Father says, this is my son. Well pleased, hear him. Is this for Jesus or is this for the people that were the others there? I'm going to suggest both. But there's something about competence that is so motivating to every person. It makes a person feel trusted. It makes a person feel reliable. It makes a person feel like God has gifted me and I know there's a ditch to this and I'm uh, hopefully we can balance uh, truth with truth, but the, I think there's a great danger in just lifting someone up. Recently, we're talking about somebody that just, uh, they just seemed to lift this child on a pedestal, and it was like worship and, and God, and that's another, another uh, ditch to this narrow road, but I really believe that the competence part is a very important job as fathers, to make a child feel, I can help with this job. I can do this. And like Richie Lauer talked, as, I don't know if you caught it, but it was very good when he said moms don't have little ones in the kitchen to help them and they got to get the job done faster and dads don't have little ones often because in the shop because they can make it so much better. And the, the, the point is relationship and doing it and ah, good job, good job. There's something about competence that, that makes a child feel feel good and it's healthy maybe it's mom taking a drawing that comes home from school and tacking it on the fridge my child drew this and just making them feel competent is what is is my my point maybe it's listening to dreams I mean, you never know sometimes adults listen listen to dreams and they think wow but listen to the dreams 
When it's absent, they'll definitely be prone to fear failure and hopelessness and I can't do it and I won't risk trying and I'm a failure and so on. And we could look at countless scriptures where God confirms and affirms these three points to us when he says, I am a child of God. I will be your father. I will delight over you in singing. I will present you to myself as a bride. Jesus says, I am the, uh, we are branches in Christ and we're called to bear fruit. We're God's temple and so on and so on. So of course we need to balance it uh, with exhortation and discipline. We cannot, I think society is maybe shifting a little bit to to what I just said in the expense of discipline and loving chastisement. Just a few practical things as we close. Fathers, make it a practice to take your hand, your physical hand, lay it on the child and give them a blessing. There's something about that. Blessing. That definitely could be a whole uh, message in, in going through the scripture and talking about blessings. It was a big deal in Israel, a big deal. Bless them often. Uh, I don't, dads, when, when is the last time that we took a, maybe our phone, just shot a text? Just, just a blessing. Just bless. And I know sometimes... Our children displease us, and we correction comes so natural. And but there, I'm, I'll guarantee you, you could, you could find ways to bless your children. I know that. Words are powerful, especially words from dad. Words are powerful. I think every child should have a memory of just a couple times at least in life. I know some dads are incredible at this. I don't know how they do it, but time alone with each child, dates they call them, dad dates. Every child should have memories of just me and dad. And you know what? My dad, I don't ever remember my dad said, hey, son, we're going on a date. But I'll tell you what, I can remember a few times where it was just me and him. And I can remember specific words. So I don't care. I know one year I did it for their birthday. Uh, I don't do well. But I'm encouraging all men, as much as it lieth within you, take time for each child specifically. Do dates with children and, and discipline them. You cannot afford to have them grow up without clear boundaries. And the boundaries are going to be different than the boundaries in, in their peers' homes. Teach them early that that's life. And it's, it, we, don't, we don't go there. That it's okay there. We, this, is, this is what mom and I agree on. And this is why we agree on it. Here's why. Clear boundaries, discipline. When there's violations, there must be consequences. If you don't teach it, you just set them up for, uh, I believe, serious failure later in life. <clears throat> Steve already said it, thank you. So I'll just restate it. Love your wife. Big one. Real, real, real big one. They ought to see just a little bit of uh, a hug and a kiss and, a, and maybe catch a few words of, oh, they're listening. <laughs> Love your wife. Lead in worship. Lead in worship. I, uh, I appeal to all of us and dads, as dads. It's hard. Sometimes we get home late, and it's okay. And I'm not 
suggesting that it's a, I remember Joyce and I still talk about one person that we heard. He lives pretty far away from here, but he told me one day, he said, our devotions are long devotions. We don't have this short devotion business in our house. God bless you, brother. Sometimes we get home late and sometimes we miss it completely, but there's something healthy about at least holding hands and just praying. When you don't have time to sit down and read the Bible or beside the still waters or something, there's something. Lead in worship, fathers. And lastly, say I'm sorry so quick. Say I'm sorry. I've learned that children are almost too forgiving up to a certain age. They're almost too forgiving. It's like Dad put, I mean, God put a, a, a deposit in your respect account that you don't deserve. Right? Well, I don't, I don't deserve it. And finally, they grow up and think through things and they, they start to see and and rightly so, I wouldn't want it any other way, but just there's something really beautiful about a dad getting on his knees and saying, I'm so sorry. And maybe even, could you pray for me? So important. And children, can I have a word with you? I've been talking to your dad. I want to talk to you. It's time to close. But I think I got your attention. You can make being dad's job really easy by doing two things, and I think Steve already nailed it. Honor him and respect him, even if he does not deserve it. It's reciprocal. Honor, respect, obey, love, bless, exhort. And if you read Love and Respect, the Egerich's crazy cycle, it works in reverse as well. It disobedience, anger. That's a crazy cycle. And it's just comes so natural. So children, the best thing you can do to have a godly father is turn around and bless him. Obey him. Respect him. And I'll guarantee you from the scripture's promise that life is going to be good. Life will be real good. I hope that this is an encouragement to all dads, all moms, everybody that's here. And I think there's probably a lot of people here that would love to be able to say, your father passed away, and it's too late to say Happy Father's Day. Or maybe there's other reasons. And I want to tell you a promise. God said, if a father isn't there, I'll take care of you. That's beautiful. And I want to leave everybody with that promise. But I know the father sometimes is a, is a, is a very, very sensitive area. God bless you. Again, I hope it's a tremendous blessing. And I hope that society is benefited by our discussion this morning of being fathers by our homes and so on. Let's all stand for a closing prayer. God, together we just thank you for being a faithful father. You're just the best. You are so perfect and right in everything you do, everything you say, if we could only be a little more like you. So we're just asking as fathers to help us, to be just like you. And in our failures, 
Would you forgive us? Would your gentle Holy Spirit be very faithful in showing us areas where we need to uh, change and repent? And God, our passion is that the next generation could be faithful. And I know that you have more of a passion for that than we do. So God, we're simply asking for help. So thank you, God, for all you've done for us. Would you give us a blessing yet as we dismiss and we go to our respective homes? Would you make us a blessing to others? It's in the name of Jesus we humbly ask this. Amen. I am so glad.